For those of us remaining in the room, our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, where we've been the last couple of weeks. John is about three quarters of the way through your Bible. It's the fourth of the four Gospels. And we'll be reading verses 11 through 18 this morning. I'll give you just a second to finish finding it. John 1, 11 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to to God. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning so deeply grateful for your word, for your holy Bible, for uh, the wisdom that we receive through it, and for the way in which we meet you there. And Lord, we're also grateful this morning for the way in which we meet one another uh, by the power of your spirit as, as family here in this place. Lord, I, I pray that you would, uh, through this time, through these moments, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word, our hearts, Lord, that we would feel the power of your word. And then in response, I pray, gracious Father, that you would open our hands, that on your behalf we would offer grace to the world. We pray this In Jesus' name, amen. It was early in my ministry, and we were uh, having an awards banquet for some students that were graduating, going off uh, to college, and uh, I was uh, trying to write my speeches for each student to be able to kind of celebrate the students and acknowledge the awards they were giving, and I was struggling my way through it, not really knowing how this went, and so there was a guy that was helping to emcee the event that had lots of experience with, with writing these sorts of things, and so uh, he gave me some counsel. He said, here's the deal. You're going to describe each student, you're going to lay out gifts, things they bring to the table, and you're going you're gonna to bury the lead, and at the very end, you're going to give the name. And at that moment in time, no one wants to hear anything else from you. Once you say the name, they want to hear from the person that received the award. They don't want to hear from you, or they want to clap for the person that received the award. They don't want uh, to acknowledge you any longer. And so it would go something like this. 
Uh, today we're here to celebrate, to, to give thanks for, uh, for one of the members of our church that has been so vital from the very beginning. He's, he's been a, a rock upon which we could rely upon, and I'm so thankful for all that he brings. He's a savant of sorts, actually. Uh, you know, he seems to be good at everything he tries, whether it's uh, programming computers or, or barbecuing brisket or, uh, or woodworking uh, to develop uh, the details and intricacies of our altar and our cross. Today, we're here to celebrate our very own Douglas Kent. Yeah! You see how that went? Like, that, that, that's how it would go. And so, like, I, I kind of per- perfected that craft, but it wasn't me. It was, it was like the, the, the wisdom of someone that had done it before that laid that out. That's how you would do it. Uh, the gospel writer of John did not know how to do that at all. He did not know how to, to, to bury it, to put it secondary, to, to leave it hanging. No, he kind of came straight out from the beginning. He wanted from the introduction of his gospel all the way through the conclusion to have a consistent message that was repeated over and over again so that it would be repeatable for you and for me, that it would become ingrained into our lives as followers of Jesus, that we would know who he was and what it meant to follow him. Now, some of you might not know this. There's um, the gospel writer of John. He, uh, he did close his gospel uh, with a very clear purpose statement. I mean, some of you might have wondered at one point in time or another, why did these writers take the time to document these things? Uh, Why did they choose the the details that they did? Uh, Because each of them had that firsthand experience, relationship with Jesus. But why did they record it the way they did? And why did they write when they wrote? Well, John didn't leave anything hanging. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he lays it out quite specifically. He says, these things are written... The things that, that, that were from John 1, 1, all the way to here, John 20, verse 31. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He wants us to know Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and to receive life through Jesus, but he didn't wait to the end to state that. I mean, he, he really uh, comes at it from the very beginning. Verses that Pastor Zach read just a moment ago, verses 11 and 12, he says, Jesus came that, uh, to, to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, did you hear this? Yet to all who did receive him, what does it mean to receive him? Comma, to those who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision, but uh, born of God. Those who receive him by believing are born again. Now, this is, this is, again, a consistent theme. John didn't just close with it in chapter 20 or open with it in chapter 1. We, we know this, this theme that continues on. We think of Nicodemus and Nicodemus' approach of Jesus. He, he's a teacher, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, uh, we know that you're a teacher. We know that, uh, that, that, there's, that you're a man of God because you're doing things that can't be done without God. So, so, so what is this that you're doing? That's in chapter 3. 
And you might think that that we're skipping all the way to chapter 3, verse 16, because that's familiar to you. But the lead up to that uh, makes chapter 3, 16 even more resonant, because in chapter 3, verse 3 through 5, here's how this interaction goes whenever Nicodemus asks, asks, who are you? Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God, Jesus says, unless they are born again. Unless they're born again, that's, that's from 20 verse 31, that's from chapter 1 verse 12, unless they're born again. And Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter this a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. This, this life changing engagement with Jesus gives new birth that as Jesus is born, he makes available to us new birth. How outstanding is that, that that we have this opportunity to receive and believe and be born again, just as Nicodemus was taught. Nicodemus has more questions. He's, he's curious how this can, go up, uh, can come to be. In verse 15, uh, chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, The Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life through him. So that we would have eternal life through him. Chapter 20, chapter 1, chapter 3. John didn't bury the lead. He didn't even make it hard to grasp or hard to understand. He laid it out there for us and he says, this is the purpose. This is the reason why. This is what I'm doing here in this very moment. I'm called to proclaim the truth that you who receive Jesus by believing in his name can be born again. What a gift. What a gift of clarity that we receive uh, from, uh, from the gospel writer of John. And, and, and this, this ability to receive comes with the capacity to know and engage, to have a relationship with Jesus, the Word made flesh. In, in verse 14 of chapter 1, the gospel writer continues on, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Made his dwelling among us. Now that's significant. This is Emmanuel, God with us, that God chose to take on flesh, to take on our form, our nature, and to come and be present with us so that he would dwell among us. Now, now you know the significance of that because you've lived this. Who do you know the best in the world? Like, like the people that you know People you know are people that you've dwelled with. Uh, Your husband or your wife, your kids or your parents, your sisters and your brothers. These are the ones you know the best because you've dwelt with them. And if you really want to get to know someone not in your family, go on a trip with them. Testify, right? I mean, go, not, not just go on a road trip, you know, where you see each other during the day. Get an Airbnb and share it with them and you'll get to know them pretty well. I mean, you'll see how they clean and how they behave, how they are when it's in the morning time, how they are when it's late at night. You'll get to see how they parent. You'll get to see all their business. If you dwell with them, you'll really get to know them. And that's what God did in Jesus. 
God said, here I am. I'm going to come and be with you. I'm going to have my being amongst you. You're going to get to know me so intimately, so personally, so very well. I'm inviting you to be in my presence. Jesus, God made flesh to come and dwell among us. Well, what do we get to know about Jesus when Jesus comes to dwell with us? That verse 14 goes on and it invites us into this information to help us come to know who Jesus is. It continues on, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. We talked about that a lot last week. We've come, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who, who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus coming from the Father full of grace and truth. That's how those that encountered Jesus in the flesh received him. That's how they got to know him. It wasn't his bed head and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't how, his, uh, how his breath smelled after he ate that fish. It was his, his engagement, his uh, his ability to encounter them, to meet them with grace and with truth. Jesus met the world, and we got to know him as grace and truth. How are we to, to break that down and understand that? Now, it, it, makes, it makes tons of sense, especially we, we could connect with truth. Uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus being in, in full form, bodily in, uh, characteristic truth, that makes sense. Jesus as grace, what does that mean? We, we speak of Jesus as offering grace, but what does it mean for Jesus to be grace? For him to be grace well, it's fascinating the way, uh, the, way the gospel writer uh, invites us in and helps us to understand that. Because in verse 16, uh, the, the gospel of John breaks that down even further. It says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. So, let's break this down. What, what's being taught, taught to us here is that there was grace before Jesus... And then there was grace in Jesus, fully realized or realized to a different or exponential extent. So the, the first grace is one that we probably don't naturally acknowledge as grace. Uh, some of us who have been reading the Bible over the entire course of the year, most of us, we get to about January the 20th and we're out. We quit. We tap out. It's too many names or too many laws. And, and, and some of us persevere through that and by God's grace find our way uh, deeper in love with God and in love with the story of Scripture. But what we end up having trouble with or challenge with is particularly the law. The law of Moses given to us in Leviticus, in the Torah, uh, by God through Moses, uh, we can get stuck there. All of the rules and the regulations and all of the instructions, they become so dense, and for us, they often can feel wearisome. Why? Why do we get the sense of weariness from exposure to the law, because I'm telling you here, and the Gospel of John tells us as well, that the law of Moses is grace. 
Grace is, is a gift that is undeserved and unmerited. And the law is that because outside of the law, there was no capacity to interact with God because God is holy and we are sinful and those two things cannot mix. And so God gave through grace the law so that we might come into relationship with him. The law is grace. But here in Jesus, uh, we're not only uh, staying in that law. In verse uh, 16 and 17, it says that law was given through Moses, and then grace came in its fullness again in Jesus. So we had grace in the law, but what was the outcome of the law? Romans tells us so so clearly and so consistently uh, that the law, in essence, becomes a a, a revelatory experience for us, the people of God, that when we try to obey the law, every jot and tittle of the law, every dotted I and cross T of the law, we end up acknowledging that we are incapable on our own of meeting the requirements of the law. That we are insufficient individually and collectively of being holy according to the law. And so God gives grace upon grace. uh, The fullness of grace in Jesus that stands upon the grace that was already given in the law. And in Jesus, the requirements of the law are fully and absolutely fulfilled. So that you and I might be able to receive salvation from our sin. Salvation from our our unholiness that is our disconnect from God. How extraordinary that Jesus is grace and truth. Jesus is grace that ultimate fulfillment of grace. the, The means through which we are made holy, not only by, uh, by working with the law, but now in understanding that we are made holy through him who has completed the, ne- the needs of the law. That is Jesus. So that's why truth is so important in this. And that's why Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth because when we believe in Jesus, that's how we receive him. Remember, we receive Jesus by believing in him and we believe in him by acknowledging this truth, the truth that we need a savior, that on our own, we are incapable of being made holy, that we are sinful by nature and we need Jesus. That's the truth. And furthermore, even more importantly, the truth of us is we need a Savior, and the truth of Jesus is that he is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior of the world and the Savior of each and every one of us. Grace and truth. Jesus is both. Now, for so many of us, Christmas is, is kind of an angelic uh, season. Uh, I know that when we encounter Easter, we, we walk through Good Friday. We walk through the betrayal of Monday Thursday, the, the death of Good Friday, and, and, the empty, and, the, and, the, and the tomb that is shut on Holy Saturday, only to see that empty tomb on Easter morning. And so uh, much of that kind of tone and experience we end up reserving for Easter and Holy Week and we miss out on the reality of what Christmas is. 
we operate with, uh, uh, in Christmas uh, fixated on the reality of Jesus as a baby. We love babies. Uh, at least most of us do. If you don't love babies, there's something wrong. I mean, I mean, we love babies. Like, they're, they're, they're cute little cheeks and, and, and how small they are and how delicate and how tender. I mean, I remember, like, when you could hold uh, my kids in, in the palm of your hand. Do you remember those days? Like, babies are teeny tiny. They're itty-bitty little things. Uh, we had one of our staff members that just had a grandbaby, and, and she was so cute and so proud, and she was holding her grandbaby and sending us pictures. Like, that, that is an extraordinary thing. And that's how we approach Christmas oftentimes. It's angelic. Uh, it's God with us. It's precious. Christmas is precious. But maybe we're called to pause. Maybe a little bit today. Maybe every Christmas actually. To pause. And to realize that Jesus wasn't only God born to be with us, but Jesus from the very beginning was the Savior of the world. As a baby, Jesus was the Savior of the world. And this is so important for us because it, it, it is... It is uh, Within uh, the, the, the heretical pressures of our contemporary culture to say that, that Jesus matured into the Savior or he transformed or became the Savior, that's false. It's heresy. Jesus from his birth was the Savior of the world. And so when we're confronted with that reality that, that on Christmas we're not only in this precious, angelic, oh, he's so cute sort of a moment, but we're confronted with the reality that, wow, you're everything, everything I need. I mean, I'm confronted with my sin and my brokenness, my emptiness, my, my and there's Jesus. My Savior born. It's this radical transformation of this Christmas moment that He's the Savior of the world and He's my Savior. You know, I, I, I come to this Advent season year after year and I'm wondering what's going to make this year different or, or what's going to change this year uh, how can this be, this is my question, how can this be the best Christmas ever? Now, some of you might have asked yourself that, and so you got like, like one extra strand of lights to go around your garage, like, like, or you got the extra big Santa blow up in the yard to like make it like super awesome, or maybe your best Christmas ever is to win the Christmas Caravan at Covenant Trophy. Come and try. Uh, you know, like, you might be wondering, how can I have the best Christmas ever? And for us, oftentimes, Christmas becomes a season that, that is just built in preparation. We're preparing and preparing and preparing. We're, we're cleaning our homes and making sure the boys' bathroom isn't gross. We're, uh, we're making sure our baked goods are all prepared and, and we have everyone that's going to come to our house's favorite. I know because my, my mother-in-law, she always makes sure my favorite are a part of it. By the way, I love forgotten cookies. 
uh, the little white with the chocolate chips that kind of melt in your mouth. Oh, so my grandmother used to make them, and then I told my mother-in-law that story of my affection for forgotten cookies, and now every time we go at Christmas, she makes forgotten cookies. And that's one of the, the, the things that we feel tedious about in, the, in this preparation of Christmas season. We want to get everything just right. And then the gift buying, and we got to make sure every single kid has the exact same both number and value, a dollar value of presents. Anyone have, have that, nar- uh, not narcissism, OCD. OCD. Does anybody have that OCD sort of feeling where like, like I have all these kids and everyone needs the same number. And so like if someone gets a really big one, I got to get a lot, a little bitty tiny one so they have the same number. Look, we weary ourselves in preparation trying to make this Christmas the best Christmas ever. But I want us to not just be in Christmas preparation season this week. Instead, I want us to also, maybe more intentionally and more fervently, be in Jesus' preparation season. That this week we would intentionally prepare for Jesus' arrival. And and, and if we were to do that, if if we were to, to prepare for Jesus, the Savior of the world's arrival. And by the way, I, I love like hearing in all of the Christmas songs, you might not have noticed, but I did because I was getting ready to preach this message. Over and over again, the Christmas songs speak about Jesus coming as the Savior of the world. And still at times, I've missed that. And maybe all of you have gotten that every single year. God bless you. And this is just a sermon for me. But I have been distracted from that reality all too many Christmases. And this Christmas, for this to be the best Christmas ever, I need to prepare for Jesus' arrival. And so here are three things that I'm going to invite you to join me in doing this week. And, and I know that this week might be the busiest week that you have on your whole calendar. God bless you. May God sustain you and prov- provide for you in the midst of that. But I'm also going to ask you to devote and dedicate 30 minutes every day this week. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, Lord, what did Jason just ask? 30 minutes every day this week for three things. The first thing They're all going to be you spending time in prayer, meeting with the Lord. And the first thing is this, to spend time in confession, confessing to God your sin, your brokenness, your need. But not just any confession. Here's the the way I want that confession uh, to, for you to know if that confession has arrived. Here you go. You ready? I, I invite you to lean in so that you would confess in such a way that leads to an aching desperation. Confession that leads to an aching desperation. For me, that's when I know I've actually poured myself out to the Lord because there are times when my confession is super shallow. It's barely at the surface and I'm not considering my my pride, and I'm not considering, uh, I'm not considering uh, layers of brokenness that, that run so much deeper. So first in that prayer, I'm inviting you to confess in a way that leads to 
aching desperation. The second is this. Uh, In that aching desperation, then turn to the next layer deep and acknowledge your individual insufficiency. That on your own, you are insufficient to restore or redeem or make holy that aching desperation of brokenness. And then third, after you have acknowledged your individual insufficiency, I ask you to desire Jesus. To just yearn for Jesus. I want you to to place yourself in the place of the people of Israel who knew from prophetic teaching that God was going to send a Messiah, but he had not yet arrived. I want you to desire Jesus with your whole heart. That and There's an acknowledgement that without Jesus in you, living in you, there would be an emptiness and a void. And I want you to see how large and how powerful that void is in you so that you would desire nothing but Jesus. And if we would confess and acknowledge our our individual insufficiency, that desire for Jesus will be so profound that when we get to Christmas, when we worship on Christmas Eve under the stars and we lift up those lit candles acknowledging that Jesus, the light of the world, has come and has met us in the flesh and has arrived For us and in us, we would be so overwhelmed with the reality of the truth and grace we have in him. And it will be the best Christmas ever. That's my encouragement. My formula, if it were, for this week. I invite you to join with me and experiencing the best Christmas ever. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. From you no secrets are hidden and all of our desires are known. And so we ask, Almighty God, that you would meet with us even now in this space and time of confession. Lord, we are, we are desperate for something more. We are desperate for you because by our own strength, by our own capacity, we are nothing. And so give us Jesus. Jesus, come. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you collectively. Jesus, I need you individually. We need you, O oh God. So pour yourself out, pour yourself out yet again, yet again this week, yet again this Christmas, but more than ever, we pray that you would give us Jesus so that we might know of your transforming power, your joy, your hope, 
your peace, your love, all because you, O oh Jesus, are grace and truth. Give us Jesus. So now we pray, O oh God, that you would be with us as we continue in worship this morning. As we enter into this time of offering, Lord, we, we, we offer a portion of what you have blessed us with to the kingdom-building work of your church. Lord, we ask that you would bless these gifts, that you will bless the givers as well, that we would know the joy that we have in giving things away just as we have witnessed that in your joy as you gave us your Son, our Savior, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.